Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our 217faith.church service, the church that fits your schedule. Have you ever considered grace? We continue today with God's saving grace, His ongoing work of kindness in the believer's life. Please stick around to learn more. We are so glad to have you join us at 217faith.church where we preach a godly biblical perspective. We put others first and live out a Christian-like faith in action. We humbly greet you in the name of the Lord and we hope that you will hear God's word today and be moved to put your Christian faith to work. We hope to sow as many seeds as possible through this ministry so that others may come to know Jesus personally and be activated to serve others for the glory of God. Amen. We'd like to direct you to our ministry website, 217faith.church, where you may find previous services and other teachings to aid you in your own Christian walk. Also, there are opportunities to put your faith into action. Please visit our Faith in Action tab to see some of our favorite organizations that you can support. Please give directly on their websites. We get nothing from your support to them. We encourage you to give directly to them. Pray about your gift and give as God leads you. Visit indeed our ministry website, 217faith.church, for more details on putting your faith into action. And finally, remember our resources to help you through your Christian experience while you are there. Available through our ministry website and, of course, wherever good books are sold. It is our prayer that God will bless your life with uh, the perspective and the experience of these books, all for His honor and for His glory. Amen. Our scripture for today comes from the letter to Titus. Perhaps you haven't heard too many chapter, too, too many uh, uh, sermons from there. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Uh, you may or may not know Titus was a companion of the Apostle Paul, whom Paul sent to evangelize on the island of Crete. Paul here is writing to him, encouraging him as he works in a land infamous for sin and corruption, uh, perhaps not too far from our own country these days. And so Paul, in these verses we're reading, writes to him and he says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. 
It educates us so that we can live sensible, ethical, and godly lives right now by rejecting ungodly lives and the desires of this world. At the same time, he says, we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great Savior and our God, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to rescue us from every kind of lawless behavior and cleanse a special people for himself who are eager to do good actions. May God indeed grant us wisdom as we study his word together today. Everything about the American way of life teaches us that you get what you earn, right? Make your own bed and you lay in it, right? In the good old U.S. of A., we are very aware of the value of competition and of winning. We value effort and sweat well most about all the things. And others, while others, of course, are content to take whatever somebody else will give them, perhaps the handouts from the governments, and do nothing in return. But you see, the Bible warns against these people when it describes that the man who will not work does not get to eat. Many tried to migrate into this country uh, to make a future for themselves. Certainly my family did that. And while many of our citizens are content to sit and contribute nothing for the greater good, others come. We tell people, you get what you deserve in life, and, and if you want to make something of your life, it's up to you. This is, I believe, certainly my story with God's help. I know that I've been able to accomplish things that I, I never could have imagined. Yet God is faithful to his people. God leads and we must follow. He directs and we must get to work. Elsewhere in the scriptures in Psalm 145.8, it tells us about God is gracious and compassionate. It says he is slow to anger and rich in love. That means that he loves to be gracious to us. God loves to bless people who may think they don't deserve it. That's his nature. That is what grace is. After all, he showed love to a sinner like you and me, right? We cannot understand the Christian life at all unless we understand the grace of God. It is at the heart of our faith. It is in the, at the heart of our relationship with God. It is more that the more, of course, that we understand grace, the more that we will be drawn to God, the more that we will love God, and the more that we will be grateful towards God. The more we will treat others with the same compassion and grace that God shows us on a daily basis. And so today we continue in this series on the topic of grace. Last time, we focused on God's sustaining grace uh, through our temptation, our hard times, our troubles. And today we want to look at God's saving grace. Going a little bit backwards to last time, uh, one definition of sustaining grace is God's love in action, right? Another one is God giving me what I need in today's world. Of course, instead, we worry about ensuring that everyone has what they need, so-called equality. Yet this perversion of compassion and grace causes discrimination towards some while giving unearned rights to others. It pits us against each other so that those in power can continue to control us. We are so focused on each other rather than on the sin and the corruption that they bathe themselves in that we pay them no mind. One of my favorite definitions of grace is the face that God wears 
when he looks at my failures. You see, aside from God, I don't think that no one is more aware of how often I've fallen short of God's expectation for my life than me. Yet God doesn't tell me that I'm worthless because of my past actions, because of what I've done. Like the, like the evils of, of diversity that we teach these days, where we say some were evil. Instead, He calls me to stop whining, to repent, and to turn away from sin, from my selfishness and willful disobedience to His will. We need to understand, friends, the difference between grace and mercy. You see, mercy is what when God doesn't give us what our selfish behaviors require, which is punishment and death. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve, which is blessings and hope. Yet it comes from our continued obedience to His will, not foolishness or these foolish man-made ideologies. Before we understand God's grace, we must come to terms with God's reality. A reality that shines a light in the decline of Christianity in our country and around the world. That which is due in great part to not mostly manufacture racism, not inequality. It's not God's righteous values, but it is truly a moral depravity that draws the human heart away from the goodness of God. From his grace into the, the selfish decay of the human mind. The same old lie that from the devil, right? We can do better by ourselves. Friends, the Bible warns us that the devil is prowling around, seeing whom he may devour. If we think our faith in God is strong enough to resist the enemy of this world, yet we refuse to spend time in God's Word, to seek Him in prayer, to humbly worship Him in the fellowship of believers, we will end up making the wrong compromises. We will fall short of the God's glory, which will result in a self-fulfilling, self-imposed one-way ticket to hell. Yeah, you can do that for yourself. A consequence-based outcome that lays hellish suffering aside is much more than that. It is a complete eternal separation from our Creator. Why? Because you wanted to do what you wanted to do. Because being a Christian was hard. Because you believe the lies of the world that you could just be you. No, absolutely not. Moral depravity is our downfall, and sadly, it is nothing new. This is exactly what Paul was encouraging Titus about, since Titus was experiencing the same decay in Crete. Shame on us for committing the same mistakes our ancestors did. All because rebellion seems more fun than obedience. It always does, doesn't it? For he that does what is wrong, knowing that it is wrong, it is counted as sin to him. Sin in turn is selfishness, is resistance against God. And my friends, if you are not for God, you are for the devil. There's no two ways about it. First John 3.10 speaks about that. God says we should have no other gods before him. Yet we continue to disobey him. What has replaced God in, in, in your own heart? What excuses are we still making for not reading our Bibles every day, for praying and helping the needy? Others are doing it? Well, God didn't call others to live faithfully. He calls you and me individually. The consequences of a non-action faith will be an eternal death. 
Now the answer is not the self. It never is. It is not communism. It is not socialism. And it certainly is not equality of outcomes and narcissistic pursuits. The answer lies in Jesus alone. How is it that God shows us then this amazing saving grace? By calling us to stop, repent, and turn around, return to His ways, not the human lies. It's not too late to return to God and trust Him for your future rather than thinking you have it covered. Our way of thinking leads to death, always. God's way of thinking always leads to life. I know many of you probably think that you understand grace. After all, we are saved by grace, right? We talked about that last time. You've known that for perhaps even for many years. And, and we, spoke, we spoke about that, that sustaining grace, right? And, and so we probably feel good about the topic. But, but I've discovered that even uh, though many Christians know that they are saved by grace, many don't act like it. For many of us, even though we know God's grace saves us, and that, that, that one doesn't simply get into heaven by, by doing good things. Our entire life is still built on pleasing God by trying to be good. It's like we think it's, it's either being good or rebellion. Yet we fail to seek and live in God's purpose for our lives. And we instead blame others rather than hold ourselves accountable for our, our own shortcomings and, and, and acting faithfully. We see God as, as some unappeasable parent up there somewhere in the sky, watching our every move. That was good. That was bad. And we think that we have to earn His approval. We think that, that if we do a certain number of good works, that God will say, good boy, good girl. And if we don't do those things, then God will say, well, forget it, you worthless thing. There is a very important thin line between doing things to please God and living a faithful action out of obedience to God's guidance. When we come to understand grace, it will bring so much joy to our lives. It is the most liberating thing in the world. My goal through this series that we're going through is that we will not just simply understand grace, but that we can come to experience it, feel it, and enjoy the grace of God in each of our lives. And so I want us to just dive into five simple aspects of what a saving grace is. And we're going to use the acrostic of the word grace itself to help us remember. Are you ready? Let's just jump into this together for the next few minutes. Speaking of God's saving grace, the G is going to stand for God's gift to me, to you. Romans 3.24 says, All us need to be made right with God by His grace, which is a gift through Christ Jesus. You see, because of this American work ethic that I was talking to you a little bit ago, many people think that they're saved by mere works, by earning their way to heaven, by being good enough that God will simply say, okay, okay, you can come in. And although works are a part of the Christian faith, they're not what gets us saved. If you were to ask 100 people, how do you get to heaven? You probably hear things like, well, you try to be good. And you do your best. Or, or, or you work really hard at being good. And, and you just try to be a, a good moral person. Do more good things in life than you do bad ones, others might proclaim. And if your good pile is higher than your bad pile, then God has no choice but to let you in. What a misguided lie that is. 
this is all based on works and not grace. We need to understand that God's salvation is free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. And you certainly can't work for it. As I said, yes, works are important out of a heart of gratitude, but not to earn our way into heaven. This is the fundamental difference between Christianity and I would dare say every other religion worldwide. Christianity is the only religion that is built on grace and a relationship with a creator that says God gives us salvation, something we don't deserve. We do nothing to earn it except that we turn away from our sin, that we surrender our rebellious hearts and receive a new heart that longs for the things of God. This is mercy. This is grace. This is compassion. If we were to summarize, in my own words, other religions, we could simply use the word do, because you got to do a lot of stuff. But on the other hand, if we were to summarize Christianity in one word, we would simply say, done. It has already been done for us. It was done on the cross by Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our salvation there. And you know, it's a gift, right? And that's why when when he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. No more animal sacrifices were going to be needed. But his very blood would cleanse humanity once and for all if we came to accept the free gift that he gave us and return to him. By the way, God's grace, his love for the world is what kept Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the nails. Jesus didn't say, I am finished because he wasn't. He's still alive today. He said, it is finished. What, what, what is this it? It's God's plan to provide saving grace for every person who seeks a verashit, as we've talked about before, which we receive in our hearts. And how do I know this? Because of the next letter in grace. The R means that we receive it by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Amen. It's just a gift. But you must receive it by faith. God says because salvation is free, it's a gift. You can't brag about it. So what do you do with that gift? You can, you can brag about the gift giver, right? We can only accept that and be grateful for it. Romans 4.16 says, People receive God's promises by having faith. This is the promise of salvation. This happens so that the promise can be a free gift available to all. Saving grace is based on God's promises. It's not based on my goodness. It is based on God's goodness. One of my favorite Bible stories concerning grace is in, uh, in the second book of Samuel, chapter 9. We have the story of a young disabled boy uh, named Mephodesheth. For the sake of his name, we're going to call him Feeble, okay? And Feeble was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of King Saul in the Old Testament. Maybe you know the story of David and Saul. David was, was going to be the new king, and Saul was the current king. And of course, he was very jealous of David. And, and, and for most of David's life, Saul was trying to kill him. He chased him all over the countryside. And, and David spent most of his time in, in hiding and on the run. 
But David never retaliated. He never fought against God's anointed, the king. He became very good friends with King Saul's son, Jonathan. Furthermore, they made a covenant of friendship with each other. And later on, both Saul and Jonathan were killed in a battle. And David finally rose to become Israel's second king. All of Saul's relatives immediately were in fear. One of them was the son of Jonathan, Feeble, as we're going to call him. And the story tells us that as his nurse carried him, the young boy, as she was trying to escape because she feared his, for his life, that she dropped him and his legs were broken and he became disabled. So he was a young disabled boy living in fear, frightened that the man who was now king would retaliate against him. Well, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing that kings did, right? They, they killed all the previous family uh, descendants. Yet one day David said, is there anybody still alive in Saul's household that I can show kindness to? This is grace, the same word. And they told him, yes, there is uh, this one little boy. He is disabled. His name is feeble. He cannot walk. And David said, bring him to me. Now you can imagine the fear in feeble's heart. But to his surprise, when he arrived, David said, I am going to take care of you. Take you and make you a part of my family. I want you to live in my palace for the rest of your life. I am going to meet your needs. I will treat you like one of my sons. You will eat at my table. That is grace. The Bible says that God comes to us when we're broken, when we are disabled in some areas of our life, when we're lamed in others, when our emotions cripple us or other things happen. God says, I'm going to bring you into my family. I will treat you like my own. That is grace. But maybe you think this sort of grace is uh, it's only available for some really, uh, some, some nice, maybe uh, nice people. Maybe you have not quite experienced such a love in your own life. Well, the A in grace for what we're looking at today tells us that saving grace is available actually to everyone. Available to everyone. God doesn't play favorites. He says that showing favoritism in scripture, he says this, it is a sin. Romans 14, 16 says the promise is not only for those who live under the law of Moses, it is for anyone who lives with faith, just like Abraham did, right? The father of the Jewish nation moved in faith. Who are these people who live under the law of Moses? Well, it is the Jewish people. They were given the law. They were given the way of God to do the right thing before the rest of us were given it. They were to be an example. Have you ever considered why the Jews were called God's chosen people? Does God love them more than he loves the rest of us? I don't think so. But they were a chosen people for a purpose. They were chosen to spread the message of God's grace and His love and compassion, of God's provision to everyone, to tell the world that there's one true God. And that's what they were chosen for. They were kind of like the missionaries, right, in those times to the rest of the world. Now, I believe that God has now taken that task and given it to the church, the Christian church, which includes Jews and Gentiles and all those who put their faith in Christ. God says it's available to anyone who opens their heart in faith. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Friends, there are no quotas in heaven. It doesn't say only good, religious, and smart people will be saved. No, it says anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, who has faith in the saving grace of God, will be saved. Can you call on the name of the Lord? You can today. Yet sadly, many people know that God offers us His grace and unconditional unmerited gift, but they still try to work their own way to heaven. They think something in their lives is making them good enough that they don't need to seek and receive God's gift of grace through Christ Jesus. Perhaps you've done some nifty spiritual things in your life. Maybe you are an outstanding citizen. There are certainly many good people out there in the world. However, if you think that they're going to get into heaven, forget it. I'm sure Billy Graham led thousands, if not tens of thousands of people to faith through his preaching. But those good deeds did not get Billy into heaven. It was his obedience and faith to God to preach the gospel, to live according to the grace of God that did it. I guarantee you that. You see, heaven is perfect and we're not. And the only way that we're going to get in is by receiving God's gifts, by receiving it by faith, which is available to every person. A saving grace that only comes from God. Yes, grace, or as the C in the word grace stands for, grace that comes from God, from Christ himself, because of what he did on the cross. John 1.17 tells us that grace and truth come through the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? Why isn't it Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius or many of the other gods that humans have invented throughout history? Why is there only one true God? Because Jesus is the only one who paid the price for a mission. No one else has done it. Grace is free to us, but don't doubt it. It is not cheap. It cost Jesus himself his life. Yes, he was resurrected, but read the scripture, see how much he suffered. The law of God tells me that I am doing something wrong. It says you blew it. But the grace of God says, here's how to get back on track. You are forgiven. Let's get going in the right direction again. In fact, Romans 5.15 says, Many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. In the Bible, when you read in Christ it refers to having God's grace in our lives. The phrase in Christ is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And again, it refers to someone who has found salvation, not because they looked under a bush, but because they came to God and humbled themselves in God's grace, His work of grace through Christ and the cross came to that, right? And so imagine that I could take a, a, a piece of paper, right? And imagine that I could uh, tear that piece of paper in many pieces, right? This will represent the many things that perhaps I've done in my life. And, and each piece will represent uh, the things that, that, that maybe disqualify me from getting into heaven. The things that I've done wrong. The things that I am ashamed of. I don't want anybody else to know about these things, right? The things in my past that I wish that I could do over. Some things that they have hurt me deeply, that, that, you know, and as I keep ripping those cards, they represent those people, right? Those people that I have hurt through those actions that I have discouraged others. In many ways, I've 
ripped up my life. Perhaps you've done the same. Or perhaps I've allowed others to, like a piece of paper, rip it apart. To mess it up, to be broken, damaged, to scar. There's no chance for me, right? But imagine that I hold God's Bible up. Where Jesus Christ takes my life, he takes all those broken pieces of paper, and he puts it in, right? And the Bible represents the things that he has done. He takes my guilt in life. And the Bible says that when I come to Jesus and I say, Lord, I open my life to you, and I want to accept your gift of salvation, God puts me in Christ. Those pieces, those torn pieces go in this Bible. When I am in Christ, can you see my imperfections? Can you see the things I am ashamed of? Can you see the things that have ripped my life? All you can see is Christ. And so when God takes my life and all the pieces and all the things that I've done, and he puts me in Christ, all he sees is Christ. When he looks at me with his eyes of grace, he only sees the perfection of Christ. And he makes me whole again. Galatians 2.21 says, Don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if we could be saved by keeping the law, then there would be no need for Christ to die. The cross would have been a waste if we could be saved and get to heaven by our own merits, by our own actions. Don't believe those lies. If we could have gotten to heaven without any help from God, Jesus wouldn't have to come and die on the cross for us. The, the ultimate blood sacrifice, the, the, the atonement for our sins would not have been paid. But instead we accept his free gift. So is grace temporary? No. Because the final letter tells us in E, grace, that grace is extended throughout eternity. It is indeed sustaining and ongoing. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Eternal life through Christ Jesus. The result of God-saving grace will go on and on forever. You can say that grace is the gift that keeps on giving. With Jesus Christ, it just keeps getting better and better. How are your own sinful actions working out for you? Not quite well, right? Have you ever thought about what heaven is going to be like? As we read through the scripture, it tells us that heaven is going to be uh, several things. I want to share three with you. Number one it is a place of reunion where we are reunited with other loved ones, where we, they have accepted God's saving grace. Not that done good things, but they have accepted the free gift. Number two, it will be a place of reward because of Christ-like character and the fruits that we develop and how we serve others here on earth. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives, right? And number three is going to be a place of release, where we will be free from all pain, all suffering, all sadness, all sorrow, all grief, all depression, and all loneliness. Everything we wish we had now, right? There's one catch. We have to accept God's saving grace. We have to experience Him and His way alone. We need to realize that Jesus Christ makes this grace gift available to everyone. But it is also customized, especially for each of our lives. Because God knows exactly what I'm going through and what you're going through and what we need. 
The famous management guru, Peter Drucker, uh, said uh, this about uh, uh, when he came to faith in Christ. He said, when somebody first explained grace to me, I realized I would never get a better deal. Friends, we'll never get a better deal than we've talked about today. Open your lives to a saving grace of God through Jesus Christ. It is our only hope. And did I mention that it's free? Some may think, well, if I come to God with, with all the ways that I've messed up in my life, God will give me uh, some sort of big lecture. I'm going to feel condemned. Uh, I'm going to feel judged. He, he, he's just going to rebuke me and, and make me feel bad. Because I know how many times I have blown it. And God's going to say to me, I told you so. But see, you're looking at the pieces of paper. You're not looking at it when he puts us in Christ. Well, that's what grace is. In the Bible, there's a wonderful story of a woman with, we could say, numerous moral failures. She was caught in the act of adultery and was brought before Jesus so that he would pass judgment on her. Our gracious Savior quickly put things in perspective. He looked at the crowd and said, Anyone here who is without sin, you can cast the first stone. Well, in the privacy then of his conversation with her and this one-on-one encounter as he knelt down next to her on the floor, Jesus looked at this woman who was filled with guilt and said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's all he said. No lecture, no big lesson. He just said, just don't do it anymore. Repent, turn around. You see, God is not looking to condemn us. Instead, the Bible says in Isaiah 30, uh, 18, that God longs to be gracious to us. In the book of Romans, we also are reminded that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There it is again. It is God's nature to bless so-called undeserving people. I know He did it with me. He's waiting for us to accept His grace. He's not mad at you. His heart is broken for you. And He wants you to come home. Remember, there are two very profound statements that Jesus shared with the woman. First of all, He said, I do not condemn you. And then He said, now stop and repent. Go and sin no more. God's saving grace is available right here, right now, today, when you listen to this message. That's why He brought you at this moment so that you could hear these words and be encouraged in whatever it is you're going through. Whatever it is that you're wanting, why not seek and receive His amazing saving grace? Maybe you've known His grace once and you just need to experience it again. Maybe you've fallen away from your faith. And so just now as we pray, seek it, ask Him for it, and I promise you will receive it. And if you've never known this grace, would you pray with me as well? And just expect God to show Himself. Father, dear God, I realize that I can never be perfect enough on my own to earn a place in your presence. I realize that the only way I get in is by your saving grace. And so therefore, I pray that you will forgive me for thinking that I could be good enough. Forgive me for my pride that I think I can earn my way in and that I think I can do whatever I want. Forgive me when I think that I don't need you, that I have it all under control. Forgive me for thinking that my way is best. Thank you, Lord. For giving me what I need, not what I deserve. 
Thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace. We ask for a double portion today. Jesus, thank you for praying and paying for my salvation on the cross. By faith, I accept your saving grace today. By faith, I recommit my life to you today. By faith, I ask to live in Christ. I want you to guide my life from this day forth. Please accept me as you promised that you would. For it is in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We are so grateful to have you join us in this service. And we pray that you will be motivated to put your faith in God into action. Please visit our ministry website at 217faith.church or wherever you're watching this message, whether it's on Facebook or on YouTube or on Twitter. Help us to spread the word, like and, and share and click those notifications. You know all the deal, right? It really helps us to make sure that, that, we, that we can continue to this, this ministry. And of course, if you want to support our evangelistic efforts, uh, we, uh, you can access our Patreon account. And we'll put it there in the comments uh, and become a contributor and enabler of this ministry. And we'll add the link, as we mentioned, to the description. So we thank you ahead of time. You see, God's calling humbles us to preach His message of hope, of love, and invitation. And so we ask you to join us so that together we can reach more who surely need God's welcoming word of grace today. A grace that will activate their faith. So visit our website, 217faith.church. Utilize the resources that are held to help you through your own Christian experience. And so until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and may he protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his face to you and grant you peace. God bless you.